it's episode 50 of the Presentable Podcast, and I'm your host, Jeff Veen. This week on the program is my old friend, Indy Young. She was one of the co-founders of Adaptive Path and has built an extraordinary career as a researcher, author, and coach. We're talking today about mental model research methodologies and learning how to get better and better at observation and listening. Indy, thanks so much for being on the program. Hey, thanks for inviting me. Oh, it's good to talk to you. It's been forever. I know it has been way too long. I like Yes, it has been. So I, much has happened. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. I was I was uh unfortunately doing a bit of the math. Like we are we are almost getting on 20 years to adaptive path. What are we like 18 years that we started that company? <laughs> Uh, 18 years oh ago, God. I think it was, it was 2000 or was it 2001? I can't remember. It was, it was 2001. Yeah. yeah it's 2001. Yeah, yeah. So, all right. Well, we're a long way yeah. in. It doesn't we're matter. Getting so, there. We're getting so there, yeah. far we can't remember anymore. I think it's, is really <laughs> what the point is. Um, but, uh, it was, uh, seven of us that started the company. Uh, yeah. and I have, uh, been in touch with almost everybody and, you know, you and I catch up from time to time and I thought, wouldn't it be wonderful just to see where the work that we had done, like, let's talk a little bit about how we did all that uh, and where you have taken it since, uh, because you have just been going deeper and deeper and deeper into the kinds of stuff that we did with Adaptive Path all those years ago. And I think that's absolutely yeah. fascinating. So, um, so I mean, my first question is just like, how the heck are you? <laughs> Busy. Oh, my God. My, um, my ambition is much bigger than my stomach. <laughs> I'm writing. I'm halfway done writing a third book for Rosenfeld Medium. Oh, my word. I'm, yeah, I'm uh, in the middle of, so I've started this thing about like not using personas with demographics because the demographics imply a lot of things that then you go off and make assumptions and you're, you're running around with cognitive bias and mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. Okay. It all, uh, anyway, I'm writing another book about that with mm. a co-author who's in Germany slash Denmark. Um, I, I'm still doing research for clients. I'm in the middle of a research project right now, which is really fascinating and fun. Um, I'm still writing my newsletter once a month. But I am also, I just started a, a, a series of advanced training sessions where for four weeks, once a week, we uh, get together, me and a whole bunch of people, and we go through various pieces of the kind of research that I do. So I call that kind of research problem-based research to make mm -hmm. it distinct from user research. Because it's not about a person who has a relationship to your organization. Um, but it's, a, and we can touch on all of this later. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, oh, that's great. These, yeah, like I just finished a series all about listening. Interesting. Oh yeah. my gosh, that's great. I, oh, I have a bunch of questions about that, but I want to back up first. You, uh, you said you're working on your third book and I just want to, how do you, how do you do that? I have, I wrote, I wrote a couple of books before, uh -huh. before Adaptive Path. So like in a whole other generation of people, uh, a long, long time ago. And I found it so astonishingly painful that I just like, I'm going to put my energy elsewhere. And it turns out that when I did, it was fr frankly more fruitful. I thought the books were great and everything, but yeah, the, the, yeah. the, the ROI, not even just in cash, but I mean, the ROI and satisfaction, it was like, it just didn't match <laughs> up. I'm like, it was great to have a book and it did a lot of good things for my career and I get all of that, but it was so hard. I like, and you, now you're on your third. Do you have just like a strict process? You go to the table every morning and just start writing or what do you do? 
Oh, God, no. My process is just as painful as you remember. <laughs> oh, no. um, also, the ROI is just as low as you remember. <laughs> <laughs> My second book, I think we mistitled it, and I also maybe shouldn't have put it in front of a bunch of UX people. I called it Practical Empathy, or yeah, actually Lou right. came up with that. Lou Rosenfeld came up with that name. Um, and it's a great name, except nobody picks it up. It's all about listening. Mm. Uh, mm. God, that can really help. And it's really aimed at product owners. Mm -hmm. It's aimed at people who are making strategy decisions. And it's aimed at developers as well. So I've been doing this little side training series called Empathy for Engineers, oh, which great. you can laugh about as well. <laughs> but anyway, titles aside, um, yeah, no, it's just as painful. I tend to put my clients first. Um, and my, my training and the people that I'm coaching first. And so the writing, the book writing, I usually don't even start it until about five or six at night. Oh my. Uh, wow. yeah. And then I have to break for, uh, making some really quick dinner. So it'll take like, I'll make dinner and eat it, gobble it down and come back. Um, and then have another session with the book until about 11 at night. Oh, Goodness. Eh. Yeah. It's yeah, exhausting. Yeah. yeah. No, it's ridiculous. And then I don't get any downtime. Oh, oh. And I work on it on the weekends. <laughs> well, I got a, a house full of kids to so make sure that never happens, I guess. Maybe that's, yeah. Yeah. I'm uh, looking, <laughs> looking with, with a lot of jealousy at my friends who have kids. I'm like, yes, you have a balanced life and it's enforced. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> Me, I'm, I'm not even going to touch that one. <laughs> Yeah, right. Well, you know, yeah, you're not in front of your computer the whole time. How, how about we say that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. good on you. That's great. Like, um, uh, the, I think the books have been fantastic. Uh, let's, let's talk about that first one uh, where, where you're discussing mental models. Um, mm. Because mental models really was, I think, the core of our, uh, our offering way back in 2001 when we got started. We often sort of with Adaptive Path and the agency and looking for client work, or having client work find us, as was the case back then. Uh -huh. yeah. um, there was often this this uh, this note the, this easy way in for people to say like, we need you to do a usability test. Remember, right? Like, oh, user research, we know a little bit about that. Could you test our product for us? Uh, and of course, all we ever wanted to do was say like, no, 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 no. All we're going to do is give you a report back saying how bad everything is because you haven't done any discovery research up front. And a lot of what you were talking about. At the back at the turn of the century was around this notion of discovery research for digital tools. Um, yeah. I want to talk a little bit about where that came from. Ah, where that came from? That came from. Uh, so I started uh, as a software engineer way back when we were writing in C, uh, not C plus plus even. <laughs> okay, no, I'm dating myself. Maybe I shouldn't have said that. Edit that out. <laughs> but anyway, um, so I started as a computer science. Uh, software engineer on teams being asked to write software for uh, other people that weren't just other scientists and engineers. Up until the point where I started doing it, most of the software was written for other scientists and engineers. So mm -hmm. it was like, okay, it's a process that we need to embody in software. We can go understand the process, like the, the science or the engineer, whatever, right? We can go understand it, make it into a system, put it into code. No problem. At this point, when I started writing software, we were suddenly starting to write for people. We were not just trying to embody systems or processes. We were trying to understand what people were trying to get done and help mm. them. I remember I was working uh, at Visa, 
actually, as a contractor. They were uh, trying, this is the international credit card company. Yeah. Uh, they were trying to make better software for their um, their reps, their, the, where you call in, with, like Visa 911, do you remember that? Like if you lost your card and you're in a foreign country or whatever, um, this is where you called. And in that room, they had a whole bunch of reps, like at one point, at any point during the 24-hour period, there would always be somebody who could, um, like 10, 10 different languages with fluency being spoken on that wow. floor. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and they had a system for tracking these things uh, and helping people get their cards, figuring, helping people figure out like who their merchant, uh, their bank is, who the merchant is, figuring out what their credit card number was, trying to piece all that together so that they could actually make a request and be able to track it back down. Um, and their software wasn't fantastic. It was all on a green screen. Um, and they're using tab on the keyboard to tab all over the place. Yeah. yeah. And it, yep, they had to, you know, get up and go send faxes. Oh God, I really am dating myself. Um, <laughs> and look in, in play in like map areas to look at city maps to try to say, okay, well, here's a place where you can go to pick up your new car. Wow. Yeah. To courier it. Yeah. Um, but these were people, these were reps these were people who had skills who had to get up and run all over the room to try to find these things who knew who in the room might be able to help them with this particular thing um and go tap that person on the shoulder and wait until they're done with something um so it was a it was an ecosystem you know it was a community uh and i wanted to understand it i didn't want to just try to reproduce the green screen process in uh, they wanted to put it into like some sort of a, a windows and mouse uh, orientation. Right. I ended up talking them out of the mouse thing because um, the speed of uh, the hand and the mouse getting all over the place on the screen was just really poor. So we were trying to keep the tabs in there. So <laughs> the, you know, anyway, yep. 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 <laughs> exactly. So, so I went out there and I was talking to these reps and, and I remember, um, like the stories, it was just really interesting stories. Um, I also remember that because it was a bank, I had to go and buy my first suit. <laughs> <laughs> and I had to take one of the gals I was working with at Visa to help me shop for a suit because I did not know the first thing about it. <laughs> and I only wore that suit to that building. I don't think I ever wore it again. <laughs> But so, you know, when in Rome. <laughs> so the, the the question I have is in this in this scenario, you're like you're essentially doing a platform migration, right? From from like old terminals connected to the mainframe to Windows PCs connected to the mainframe or something. Yeah. And they're like, something. well, yeah. yeah so wait. we have to update the software. So uh, translate it for us. But at some point in that process, you were like, wait a minute, like I want to talk to those people in the room. Like, did you yeah. have, did you have access to them? Or did I you? did. All right. So I, that, got, ac I got access you had to, to them. Right. So yes. mm -hmm. uh, even that, even that, this is, I am assuming, in the 90s or something like that. But back then, that notion of like, wait a minute, I want to talk to the people who will end up using it, that was pretty progressive. I think it was, yes. Yeah. Um, luckily, I happened to fall in with a, I don't know how this group managed to get the kind of power that they did, but it was a group who had persuasive power. Somehow they had the, uh, the attention of the people in upper management and they were given the green light on a lot of things. Hmm. So I think that's how I, um, how I managed to get that going. Um, the other thing that I did with that, though, was once 
I had that data from people and I had sort of made, I ended up making a state machine <laughs> that, um, that represented kind of what the people were doing and the various, you know, differences between what, uh, you know, a certain kind of approach to the process would be with one person yeah. versus another, et cetera. Right. Um, we were working, uh, this was down in Palo Alto. Um, and we were working with a whole, like two other teams, another big software team and a big database team. And they could not, you know, figure out how to get their wares together. And so I ended up using my state machine to design the way the software and the databases should come together and interact. Um, and <laughs> it was kind of this, it was, it was the very first time I ever tried to pull, to, to have people drive what the software was doing. The state machine represented the people that was driving the software. Um, and I remember those guys, I mean, one of the database guys going like, man, if you had not come along, we would be so far behind mm. on this project. Yeah. Um, and it went from there. I think the next time, uh, the next bead along that was uh, when I was working for a company. It was actually uh, for a consultant who was working for a company who sells satellite imagery. This was before Google Maps. Um, and they were selling satellite imagery at different levels of, um, of uh, you know, resolution and then for different uses like military versus weather versus blah, 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 um, real estate, commercial real estate. Um, and that was the first time I ever drew a mental model diagram. What I did was I said, okay, listen, here are the things that people are trying to get done and I'm matching them up or not matching them yep. with the things that you're providing. Look at the gaps. So let me ask you about that. Um, uh, because the step before that, before kind of drawing out like a visualization of what people want versus, uh, or what people need versus what, what is available, is uncovering what people needed. Yeah. And so at some point, like, I, like, like you said, you, had, you gained access to the, the eventual users of this software that you're writing, but you had to figure out how to ask them too. And, uh, yeah. and that, to me, that is where so much of the science comes in to, mm. to right? The, uh, the sort of the anthropology and the ethnography and the psychology of how do you observe without affecting or, or, or ask and, <laughs> and probe without, without leading and, you know, things like that without bias. Right. And, yeah. 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 Um, so, okay. Now I can start to step onto my little, um, my little soapbox. Get up there. <laughs> Um, so the first thing is that um, I wanted to understand what was going through people's minds. I was not interested in how they used existing software. I was interested in how they solved a problem. How were they achieving the purpose that they had in mind? And that is very different than the traditional, at that time, user yeah. testing kind of thing, right? Horrible name. Um, but anyway, uh, the idea was that I wanted to talk with people. I wanted to hear what they were going through in their minds as they were achieving this purpose. And that is not something you can do by observation. I mean, unless there's some sort of telepathy server, which doesn't exist yet, right? <laughs> um, so um, I did just like little, I called them interviews with people. Only uh -huh. I didn't go in with interview questions. Um, I might have some topics and I had a list of topics that I might want to cover that the client, whoever I was doing this for was like, Oh yes, no, you, you, I want this data. So I, you know, cover these topics. So I'd write down the topics, but I'd find that the person was so much better at talking about their purpose 
um, than I was, that they would cover the topics that were important to them. And I didn't have to manipulate them into talking about certain things. And when I did try, and this is early days, when I did try to bring up topics that were on the list that hadn't already been covered by that particular person, yeah. they it wasn't important to them, or they would try to invent some sort of an answer that they right. think would please me. Yeah. So I gave up on that. Um, when, by the time I wrote that first book, I'm all like, you know, you can write a protocol. That's what they would call like the little mm-hmm. list of interview questions. You can write that if you have to and get it approved if you have to, if that's part of your process, but throw it out. Don't use it in a listening session, <laughs> um, <laughs> which kind of opened people's eyes. Uh, uh, the idea is, and I actually renamed it too. I don't call it an interview anymore. I call it a listening session because it's very different than an interview. Um, in an interview, you, um, you're, you're trying to compare different things across different people. In a listening session, it really doesn't have anything to do with comparisons. Sure, there's going to be patterns that come up, and you're going to do a hell of a lot of synthesis um, time with that to try to find what the concepts are and see what the patterns are. Uh, but you're not trying for any sort of like statistical comparison across people. You're interested in what went through their mind and therefore you're just listening. And as I got in uh, more and more into listening, more and more into understanding how to encourage people to feel comfortable speaking with me to help them uncover what I was after, which was their inner reasoning, their reactions, their guiding principles um, to help them get past like a habit of speaking in generalizations and talk to me about a a specific time that actual thoughts were running through their head. Mm. Um, That became the basis of listening sessions. And Mm. that became the basis of my second book, Practical Empathy. Mm, mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Listening sessions, I think that's a really great way to frame it and set context and expectations for, uh, for, for the, that kind of research. Um, I've had that experience uh, a few times, uh, like really powerfully, especially when I'm sort of visiting people where they are doing their work or, or trying to achieve the, the goals that they have, you know, in, in that kind of physical context of like, mm-hmm. hey, why, why do you have all these post-it notes all over your monitor? With all, you know, and like, oh, tell me about it. like, how come you have to go talk to that person to do this? Ah, mm-hmm. interesting. Like, what, oh, oh, really use a spreadsheet. Show me that spreadsheet and walk me through it. That mm-hmm. kind of, like, mm-hmm. like that does not feel like an interview at all. You know, it's just like, oh my God, your work is so interesting. Tell me everything about it. How do you do it? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, yeah. And yeah, like yeah. And then, yeah, exactly. and then like, oh my God, the features that you could build to try to help people when, when you see that, when you do that synthesis and see those patterns. Like they just kind of yeah. fall out. It, it doesn't feel like it doesn't feel like we're being creative at all. We're just literally like everybody is struggling with this. Why don't we just make a thing so they don't have to struggle anymore? You know, yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. True. Um, true. But, are, but yeah, go ahead. <laughs> I was going to say, but now what I'm interested in is not making a thing, but several things. I'm interested in trying to get outside of just like a process. Like if you're there looking at something, like okay, how are you doing your process? How are you? You know, you look at the spreadsheet. Aha! I want to understand your spreadsheet. That's more processy. I'm still yeah. one step back. Before that, I want to understand what they're trying to get done. Yeah, How yeah, are they yeah. going to get done? Why are they using a spreadsheet? How did they come up with the spreadsheet? Mm-hmm. I'm not interested in the spreadsheet itself, except what comes out the other end of it and why they made it. Um, and that then starts to show differences in thinking styles. 
So there can be a whole bunch of people who do, you know, set up a process of their own and use spreadsheets and stuff. And there can be a whole bunch of people who just do it by the seat of their pants and it works fine. Mm -hmm. And it's really interesting to know what the difference in thinking is so that we can support both of those people, maybe with separate solutions, maybe with a solution that branches or has different ways. And then this starts getting into the whole, I'm debating whether to call it AI or chatbot, right? It's some (laughs) sort of a... (laughs) It's some sort of a, an, a, an intelligence, but I don't even want to call it an intelligence. It's an algorithm online that's recognizing what you're saying, mm-hmm. and it's recognizing where you're coming from because it's helping a certain thinking style. It's been programmed to help a certain thinking style. If it starts recognizing that you're going outside of its expertise, it says, oh, hang on, you're going outside of my expertise. There's another one over here who might be able to help you. Interesting. Okay, so I want to ask you more about that. But first, let me take a quick break and tell everybody about a sponsor that we've had on for a few episodes now. And that's a service I absolutely love. And that's Linode. Linode lets you set up virtual Linux servers in the cloud for as little as just $5 a month. And you can fire these up in just under a minute. It's really super cool. I use my server for all sorts of stuff. You can set up just about anything Linux can handle, like hosting large databases, running mail servers, operating a VPN. You can run Docker containers on it. You can host your own Git server. You can do just about anything. They're absolutely great. Whether you're just getting started with your first server or you're deploying some giant complex system, either way, Linode offers the fastest hardware and network with fantastic customer support behind all of it. Uh, It's never been easier to launch a Linode cloud server, uh, and they guarantee 99.9% uptime for server availability. So that means once you've got your server set up, they're going to keep it that way. Uh, Linode has just started offering additional storage as well. Their block storage feature is now out of beta and available in their Fremont and Newark data centers. So check out their pricing. Plans start uh, for one gig of RAM for your server for as little as $5 a month. And they can offer high memory plans going all the way up to starting with 16 gigs of RAM and, and, and on. But now, as a listener of this show... If you sign up at linode.com slash presentable, you'll not only be supporting us, but you'll also get $20 of credit towards any Linode plan. So that means if you choose this one gig plan for a, for a simple server, you can get four months of that server for free. Uh, sign up at linode.com slash presentable to get that. Now, they also have a seven-day uh, money-back guarantee. So there's literally nothing to lose. Try it. If you don't like it, nothing out of pocket. So linode.com slash presentable to learn more and take advantage of the $20 credit. Thanks so much to Linode for supporting this show. So let, let me try to tie this back to the, 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 you were talking about personas and not trying to be demographic about it. Are you thinking of personas more around thinking styles? Is that, yeah. is that the direction? Yeah. 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 So yeah, 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 yeah. The, the gal that I'm working with, um, she came up with this idea because I've never been able um, to tie thinking styles to personas. I'm like, just replace them. Um, And she's like, but wait a minute, the persona is the story. It's the character in the story. And the whole reason to have a persona is to to be able to tell the stories better. Um, Yeah, okay, I get it. Yeah, story. Story has characters and scenarios. Um, Scenarios are contexts. Thinking styles, you um, might change your thinking style based on a context. Let me give you an example. I did like about, I don't know, 18 months worth of research it, I think it was eight different studies. We spoke to a hundred different people wow. for uh, a, an airline. And across all of that, we made a, an enormous mental model diagram, um, which has not been capitalized upon uh, yet, <laughs> hopefully. 
they will be working on that. Um, but we also made some thinking style segments, and those things just came up over and over and over again. Those there were four patterns, one of which was the kind of um, Zen traveler that you know, whether they're on vacation or a business travel, whatever. They're like, okay, I'm I'm sort of dedicating this whole day to getting from point A to point B, bringing all the things I need with me. Um, and the airline will get me there. Sure, there might be delays, but the airline will get me to point B. Uh, as opposed to the person who is just get me there. I have like 500 things to do before I get to the airport and 500 things I need to get done right after I land at point B. Um, and I'm going to minimize my connection times and minimize my time in the airport um, and just get there. It's a bus in the sky. <laughs> That's a direct quote from somebody, by the way. Mm. Um, and there was a, another one that was called the frustrated. And this is the person who um, kind of like the first one and the second one in that, yeah, okay, I'm going to give over the day, but you better get me there. And if there's delay, I don't trust you to get me there. Interesting. So yeah. this would be as like juxtaposed against what would be maybe more traditional, like the business traveler or families yeah. or budget yeah. conscious or whatever. Well, actually, the more traditional are the marketing ones, how people buy. Interesting. Right? Yeah. So, so the interesting thing about the context, the scene, like if you've got a character, let's say your, your character is someone named Sharon and she's going on a business trip. She might be a just getting there on the business trip. And she might um, get to the airport last minute. She might, you know, narrow down her connections. She might be, you know, getting work done on the plane, taking calls uh, all the way up until they have to turn on your mobile, turn off the mobile phone, right? Um, but let's say she goes on vacation with her family. Right. She's in a different mindset now, a different thinking style. Now she's getting to the airport early. She's trusting that the airline's going to get them there. The whole day is given over to it. They're bringing kids toys. They're making sure that the kids are comfortable. Food is available. Um, there's plenty of time to go to the bathroom. <laughs> and for whatever other little emergencies. <laughs> so um, that's what I mean by that particular character, Sharon, depending on which scene she's in, might change her thinking style. Nice, nice. Um, so while you're doing this work, uh, is there a visualization you use for these sort of thinking style personas that is different from the mental model or how does, how does that work come together? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, they're, the, the way they're created is, uh, pretty 90 degrees different. Um, but it uses, comes from the same source data. The way that they show up generally is in a first person present tense description. So it's a, I am trying to get this done. I'm going to do this here, sort of like how I'm thinking my way through this purpose. Okay, so let's say that Sharon is on the business trip. Here's right. the description. I just want to get there. I've got a lot to get done on my day of travel, so I need to be efficient. I schedule my trips as tightly as possible to minimize the amount of time I spend on the plane and in the airport. If it works better with my schedule, I might choose to postpone the trip or arrange a teleconference. I may feel uncomfortable on planes or simply not want to spend too much time away from my home and my family. Interesting. Now I'm wondering about the use of this with people who have not been involved in the research, like getting, huh, people, yeah. like how does that affect the decision-making, the prioritization, the, the, even the creative output of a product manager or an engineer or a, even frankly, a designer who wasn't um, 
who wasn't engaged, was engaged in that research and say like, okay, you, somebody's impatient. How do I design for yeah. that? Yeah. yeah, 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 exactly. I'm actually going uh, through this with another client too. Um, I've got two clients who are very interested in this approach. And the idea is that you still need to tell stories. So there's going to be a story with a character or maybe two, three stories, right? With two, three characters. Those are your, your uh, heretofore personas. Yeah. Um, but those stories... Um, those stories will be sort of the overarching thing that like everybody in the company knows. Mm. And those stories might have a couple of scenes in them where that person does or does not change thinking styles. Um, there's with this one company, there's a point at which they're helping these people, they're supporting these people and they tend to go through a thinking style change. Um, so they would want to show that in one of their stories, mm -hmm. but that, the group, the uh, like the designer group, they have a bunch more understanding or maybe more thinking styles, different possibilities that you don't necessarily put in those company-wide uh, overarching stories, right? Got it. So those lower level ones, um, the ones that maybe just the design group has uh, or the product managers um, have, they are shared between... Uh, groups that are actually getting stuff done and they would be shared based on context. So for example, let's take that, uh, just get it over with. Um, let's say that you are writing software for, um, a reservation system, right? And you've got the get it over with person in mind. Um, you're not going to show any flights that have connections when there are flights that are direct, for example, hmm. Got right? It. Yep. Yep. Um, yep. Yeah. You're, you're, if, if there's no way to get there direct, you're going to show only the choices that have the least, the shortest amount of time on the ground, right? Wasted time in a way. Um, you're going to also offer um, special services to get people to the airport or away from the airport quicker um, or better intelligence about how to get to and from places that may not have been already. Um, you're going to talk about uh, ways to um, find locations to get work done in airports when there is a delay, stuff like that. Got it. Uh, there, there's actually a really good example that I love to talk about. There's the, the person who's called frustrated. Um, there's a story where this woman is coming back from a... Um, conference that she's been to a professional conference um she had carefully booked a flight so that she would come home well within time on a friday afternoon to see her i think it's three or four year old daughter do her first recital um so plenty 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 of time to get away from the airport get to the recital and everything and then a delay and she's extremely upset and very frustrated and taking it out on the gate agent right um, if the gate agent had been told the story, if the gate agent had been under, undergone some sort of training or process that talks about this, then she can say, okay, wow, do, do the listening, right? Yeah, my God, I would totally be upset too if it were my kid. Um, is there any way that you can have somebody else in the audience sort of Skype you in, for example? Um, <laughs> I've, I, you know, there is a back room here where I can let you sit and watch that, right? 
Right, right, right. Yep, yep. Yeah, not too hard, not too hard to solve. So interesting. It sounds like there's a couple levels here. On one level, it is like across an entire organization, almost a socialization of a set of stories that, that belong to a set of people who have various thinking styles. Yeah. And that tends to be, uh, from my experience, something that, that needs to happen kind of top down, right? Like, mm-hmm. here's, yeah. how, here's how we're going to think about all of this. Uh, here are the, the stories that drive our values, that drive our decisions. And it's part of the culture of our organization. And that, uh, like I said, since it's coming from the top down, but based on research that's happening in a, in a smaller group, uh, gets back to your original point of like finding the people who are persuasive, who can help empower, yeah. empower that message to spread through the organization, uh, spread up and then out. Uh, but then at the other level, there are just a whole series of pragmatic decisions that are being made by teams based on, we observed this kind of behavior from people, uh, and we should therefore make features that are kind of aligned to those behaviors. And it becomes, like I said, really pragmatic. Like, you know, this yeah. person, uh, the more efficient we can make their, their, their journey through this application through this experience that they're having with our with our software service the better versus this person needs the zen world and we're going to try to be you know try to present a much more uh, a much calmer scenario but i guess you know and that sort of brings to mind then how to help people channel themselves into the right experiences for the kinds of uh for the kinds of experience that they want to have and and that's a whole other way of like sort of yeah, uh, figuring out right, like figuring out what is a, what is a top level experience to get people into more personalized outcomes. Yeah, so so that's I think where the non AI, non intelligent, non chatbot algorithms. <laughs> <laughs> if if you're working on that, I mean, it could be service, it could be actual people. There was one thing you just said. I mean, yes, that's exactly how it works. There's going to be a, a a pragmatic decision by the people who have done the research not to release it all, just to release the certain stories that are going to really represent those values. Um, there are, I think, among all of us who are researchers and designers, we love our babies and we want everybody to love all our babies. Um, so we have to pick and choose, you know, which child gets to, to be the story. Um, but part of what you said also is observe behaviors, and that's actually not what I do. Um, it is listening to the thinking, the inner thinking. And I think that's a lot different. Um, when you observe behaviors, you're making assumptions. Hmm. Um, yeah. And yeah. Then, Tell me more I, about that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I wrote an article in um, Interactions Magazine about uh, assumptions. Um, not only when you're observing what somebody's doing, you're, you have no telepathy service. You don't know what they're really thinking. They could be thinking 12 different things by doing the same thing. Right. Um, and I want to know what's inside. <laughs> I really want to know what what the thinking is so that I mean, because they may behaving some way that they're forced to behave that because of the way the process works, they have to do it and they don't like it. But they've gotten so used to it that they're not showing it on their face. You know, that kind of a thing. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So it really has to do with what's in, internal. And then the question is, well, how do people self-select? I don't know that they'll self-select. I think there's going to be a, a, like a variety of ways of getting at it. Let me give you an example. Health-wise, um, they're the people who do all of the online um, medical information that goes into some uh, application like WebMD. Uh-huh. Um, 
So it's all very, uh, they've been in business since the seventies and it's all very um, medically correct and, and vetted. There's a word for it, which is escaping me right now, but um, they did. So they've been doing a series ever since 2006. They've been doing research study after research study to understand the people that they're talking to. Cause they realized before in the seventies, eighties, nineties, um, they were talking, their wording was aimed at other medical professionals, mm. not at consumers. And consumers don't get it, don't understand what they were writing. Um, so they started to try to understand the consumers so that they could write things that the people who buy from them, such as WebMD or such as your health insurance company, um, then don't have to rewrite it for their own clients. Um, so one of the things they did was uh, how our people going, what are the, the, the internal thinking styles as people approach the purpose of losing weight? Okay. Mm -hmm. um, and there were three different thinking styles, if I can remember them off the top of my head. One of them was, um, it, I, I give up. I can't remember the actual name, but it was basically, I've tried losing weight before. It never has worked for me. So I'm just going to be this size forever. Bummer. I'm not happy about it, but here it is. Another one was the inconsistent. Um, I've, I've got a you know job that sends me all over the place. Uh, I, you know I can't always be consistent about my food or my exercise, maybe. Um, and then there was the sidetracked. This is somebody who has you know the New Year's resolution and packs the gym in January, um, and then it just doesn't keep up. It just doesn't um, last because things aren't um, aren't working, and uh, so they give up. Right. Um, those were the three that they came up with and they, they ended up with a piece of software for the client. They were writing it with, um, I think where there was a front door that sort of had a selection, um, that, and I was talking to the gal who did it. She, I'm trying to get her to get me a copy of it. Cause she says it didn't last. They didn't keep it running. Um, whoever that client was. And she doesn't know the reason why. And what I'm trying to do is find out why, because mm. I don't think self-select is necessarily going to be the way it goes, right? As we start to interact with algorithms in a more transactional way, whether yeah. by voice or whether by entering little bits of data or what have you, um, I think it's going to come that way. It's going to come as, as those algorithms recognize bits and pieces of how you're approaching something. Yep. Yep. Yeah. It seems, yeah. Uh, I've seen this in various examples of onboarding, right? Signing up for a new service where, um, where rather than having a very long form that stretches down a page and you have to scroll through to get it all done, you can break it up into multiple screens, but the answers from each of the earlier screens can kind of like almost choose your own adventure out to different Right, experiences based on where you're going, and 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 even in a simple sort of like you know, it's essentially a hierarchical branching diagram, but 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 allows people to essentially self-select by answering questions um, as a way of signing up for a service to see like, oh, okay, you're ready for just you're ready to dive right in, or uh, we're going to take you through some tutorials and get you, you know, that kind of stuff. So mm -hmm. I, I think there's a, a variety of techniques that are not just uh, are you a beginner or are you more advanced, you know? That right? Kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Because are people, you an inconsistent or are you a right. give it up? <laughs> right, right. Because people are going to answer aspirationally yeah. and then be really disappointed. Yeah, right? you know, something. Yeah, like that. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Uh, yeah. Good. Like, um, you know, it's, all right. So let's look, kind of review this process here. We're talking a lot about like the listening and the gathering and the observing. 
Uh, but the synthesis part, right? I mean, I remember when we were doing a lot of this work, we would record the conversations that we would have with people, get transcripts of those, and literally we would all just sit around a conference table and go through transcripts, highlighting things, looking for patterns across 16 or 20 different interviews that we had done. And it was just yep. like hard work, but it yep. was, but it was the, the point, right? It was to, yeah. the process was, was essentially most of the work by going yeah. through it all and pointing out things that sounded like actions that wanted to be taken and, and things like that. And then, and, and then literally, you know, because we were user experience professionals, we would go through cases and cases of post-it notes all over the wall with all of these little, little points, cluster them as best we could and turn them into a visualization. Like, is that still kind of the, the basis of the work today? That is pretty much the basis of the work today. Um, Christine Wilkie uh, uh, did a tweet I, a couple months ago. She's like, why do user experience professionals not give enough love to synthesis? <laughs> it's because it's hard. Um, when you're done, I mean, it's hard to recruit people and get to listening sessions. And, you know, if you're going to go, I, I usually do the listening sessions, by the way, uh, in audio. I only go out into the field if it's a habitual thing that I need to see people do so I can ask more questions. Um, but I'm still recording audio. I'm still getting the transcripts. Yeah. Once people get that done, especially in user research where you're looking in the problem, I mean, the solution space, um, they think that's the hardest part and they're done. They're yeah. exhausted. Yeah, it is yeah, yeah. exhausting, right? But for me, okay, that's the tip of the iceberg. Now right. the great big hulking thing under the water is the synthesis. And I actually break the synthesis up into two parts. One, I don't even call synthesis. I call it re-understanding. And that's the part where we're combing through those transcripts and we're sitting around the table highlighting stuff. Uh, there's a, there's, it's, a, it's a science where we're actually pulling out very particular things, things that are either reasoning, a reaction, or a guiding principle. We're re-summarizing uh, them in a way that will make it easier later when we do synthesis, um, when we actually find patterns. But we just take one at a time now go through, grab all that stuff out. We throw it, I throw it into a spreadsheet now because I wanted to automate the mm. building of the, of the visualization. Mm -hmm. uh, much easier than <laughs> little sticky notes. Um, you can still do it in sticky note though. Totally, totally do that. Um, and, uh, and of course I'm also encouraging people to do shortcuts and sticky notes is a great shortcut. I actually did that with a client last year. Turned out fantastic. Um, but it was for something where she didn't need the data to stick around to be added on to. Remember that airline thing I told you about where we did eight studies? Yep. We kept piling them on top and on top and on top. We built and built and built that mental model diagram. Um, for her, we did it just with sticky notes because she just needed it to come up with an idea for a prototype for an internal contest at their organization. Hmm. Their yeah. Yeah. So she didn't need to layer on and add more to that data. It didn't need to be a living document, a living mental model diagram. Um, so, you, so you can take shortcuts then. Um, and plenty of people do. And I'm writing about that in my new book. I'm being more explicit about what all the different shortcuts are. But if you have something that you really want to hang on to, because these things last decades. People don't change their inner thinking just mm. because they've got new tech. Right. There's... They still have their purpose. They're still doing their inner thinking. These things last decades. They can guide you for decades. Um, by the time your current CEO has, has retired and you've had two new CEOs, they're <laughs> valid. 
Um, and you can still use them, still add on to them. Um, so anyway, uh, the re-understanding, that combing through the, the transcripts and making those summaries and writing them in a special way so that it's easier to synthesize them and find what the patterns are later, um, that's what takes, I don't know, I'd say eight times the amount of time that you did uh, spend actually listening to somebody. Yeah, just in, in collecting the data, so to speak. Yeah. You know, like yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's that's actually yeah. just a precursor to when the work actually starts. Uh, yeah. And then there is the actual like the the visualization itself. I'll, I will put some links in the in the show notes for this episode uh, to some of the the diagrams that you have on your website. Uh, but the the idea is is essentially translating a wall of sticky notes into a into a visualization that mm-hmm. that clusters together. Uh, various various themes that came out of the work uh, above a line and then below a line you've got uh, an inventory of either the features that exist in a current set of technologies uh, or stuff that's on the roadmap or, or, or basically uh, everything that the organization that is doing the research has already and, yeah. the, and the goal and there competitors. <laughs> and competitors yeah yeah and the competitors and the goal there is to show the gaps Right, that there's a whole yeah. bunch of stuff over here that we found in the research that has nothing below the line. You have nothing to address all of these needs here. Or what is often the case, <laughs> oh my gosh, you have so much below the line and there's nothing above it. We never heard right. any of this from anybody. So that's all right. wasted investment. So here's your yeah, opportunity yeah, yeah. and here's your sunk cost you should let go of. Uh, and here's literally like not just a mental map, but a roadmap for like the yeah. work that you can do and that, that could take you years to accomplish. But I, I just like, just the the stunning simplicity of that that diagram to show clearly like it does not match up, and we have hmm. work to do. And here is here is the work we're going to go do uh, mm-hmm. has been just so yeah. motivating yeah. for the teams that I've worked with in the past. Yeah. yeah, fantastic, good. I'm glad to hear it. The um, they can also be a little more subtle because you can you can have stuff that matches, but it is not strong enough. <laughs> yeah, or, sure. Yeah, it's super. Super weak, um, or it matches one thinking style and not and not the others. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so I'm layering that data on. I had a client who actually layered a whole bunch of other um, survey and traditional um, interview data on top of the mental model diagram, so that we could see. Okay, now wait a minute. Who of the people that we want to support are we supporting, and who are we not supporting? What approaches are we sort of biased toward? Which approaches right. are we are totally off our radar that we didn't realize, right? That we could that it's not too hard to actually reach out and support that too. Um, it's super similar to that long tail diagram that we were all so excited oh, yeah. about a few yeah, ago. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, we can for not that much more cost support so many more thinking styles. Interesting. Rather rather than creating one size fits all and it doesn't fit anyone really great. We can create, you know, something that's really adjustable. And something that's not exclusionary. Right. You know, like this is one yes. of the themes that we've been talking about on this podcast here for, for, mm-hmm. for quite a while now is the idea that design without an inclusive approach to research tends to produce products that exclude like vast communities of people, uh, yes. people that are underrepresented underrepresented not just in society but in the in the, in the work that happens when we're developing this technology and and frankly leaves people behind in a world that you can't exist without that t- technology yeah which is frankly unjust and i yes. think uh the stuff that you are talking about is directly like is hitting that stuff head on and i, I really appreciate that yeah i'm reading this book um weapons of math destruction by kathy o'neill if you read it math 
destruction? Mass destruction. Yes, it's all about it's all about the horrible truths behind the algorithms that yeah. people are using. Wow. For example, uh, and this is where the research that I do can come in. But for the example, she says um, insurance. Insurance rates are being based on your credit score. Uh. Your credit score is very much uh, influenced by your zip code. So if your neighbors default, you're going to have to bear the brunt of that. Pay more right? for your insurance. That's crazy. Yeah. And yeah, and she says, and there are people who have convictions for drunk driving. Convictions for drunk driving who pay less. <laughs> yeah. 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 Weapons you know, of mass like, destruction. I thought, I'll put a, I'll put a link to that in the show notes yeah, as well. Put a um, link. That, uh, put a link also. You mentioned the the conversion. Put a link in the show notes to my mental model diagram generator. Um, cause that thing, uh, sucks in a spreadsheet, a huge, like 7,000 line spreadsheet and spits out this, the top part of the mental model diagram awesome. that then you can create, uh, the, uh, the items below the line. The, um, the other thing I wanted to mention is, um, some people have started calling once we get the mental model diagram created and then start aligning things beneath the towers, uh, for that super, astonishing you know gap analysis plus this ability to look at where the people are thinking differently that we're not supporting um people trying to call that an opportunity map hmm. interesting yeah i like that yeah i'll do a little more research on that as well um yeah cool all right well you've uh, you know what i really appreciate this this has been a fantastic conversation i learned a, a ton um we, we really do need to catch up more often <laughs> uh let me see i'll look at my notes here in the young.com that's i-n-d-i young.com uh-huh. all you're writing there a ton of stuff i'm going to link to a bunch of that as well as i'll find that mental model generator and get a link to that in, as well you're in the young at twitter as well and, uh, and on Medium, I've got a bunch of stuff on Medium as great. well. Great, we'll get you a link, link to that as well. I'll point people to the two books as well from Rosenfeld Media. That's Mental Models, Aligning Design Strategy with Human Behavior, and Practical Empathy for Collaboration and Creativity in Your Work. Uh, do you have an ETA on the third book, or do you not want to jinx it? Yeah. Oh, no, the uh, ETA is early next year. Great. Um, and then after that, I did an audible version of Practical Empathy, so nice. people can listen to it when they're on their commute or working out or whatever. I'll do another audible, probably, of uh, the the new book. Um, so that will be much later. <laughs> the printed version will be out early next year. Fantastic! Look forward to seeing that. And thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah, thank you. It's been fabulous. And that's another episode of Presentable. Hey, got any questions? You can email us at hello at presentable.fm or get in touch via Twitter by following Presentable FM. We hope you've really enjoyed the show. And if you do, could you take a moment and give us a rating on iTunes? It really helps and we'd really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. And until next time, I'm Jeffrey Dean and this was Presentable. Presentable.